Hello and welcome to Full Contact Nerd, where we talk about fiction and storytelling in all its forms. From the weird to the fantastic, horror, sci-fi, fantasy, thrillers, mysteries, anything you can ask for, we have it. I'm Chris Alvarez and thank you for listening. I'm speaking with Nisi Shaw, editor of New Sons, original speculative fiction by people of color published in 2019 by Solaris. Uh, thank you for speaking with me. I'm so happy to do this. Thank you. Um, oh, and I'll add one more thing. Winner of the 2020 Locus Award for Best Anthology. So tell me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, how, how exciting. Um, I assume it was exciting. C- can you tell me about that, that feeling or experience? Yes, I was totally unprepared for New Sons to Win. I know it is a great anthology. I mean, I've known that in my bones um, ever since it was published, and I, I knew it beforehand when I was working on it. But I was up against some pretty stiff competition. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really, really sincerely did not expect to win against Gardner Dozois, Ellen Datlow, all these giants. Mm-hmm. But it happened, <laughs> I guess. You, so, so that's good. Um, so, tell me, how did how did um, you and this project come together? Did you develop it, or was it given to you? How did it work out? Uh, it was given to me. It was um, the idea of John Oliver, someone who is no longer with Solaris, hmm. um, and he approached me with the idea, and. At first, I was a little nervous. I have some other editing experience under my belt, but this seemed like the kind of thing that could influence the field, and um, I wanted to do it right. So uh, one of the things that happened was we had to negotiate around the pay rate for the authors. I wound up with a smaller anthology because I wanted to pay them more, basically. Mm-hmm. Okay. Otherwise, I would have had two volumes. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of, um, I mean, obviously there's a lot of um, excellent work done by, other than white writers. Um, yeah. So, I'm gonna say, there's a question I have, I'll save further down the line. But, um, so let's first talk about how did you um, go about choosing you know, whose stories, or, or not on the people, but on the stories themselves, how, how did you choose um, the stories? Did you make sure there was a balance of genres, or um, were you looking for a sort of aesthetic that connected everything? How did that work out? I was really looking for a balance. Um, I wanted a balance in genres, definitely, um, which some people will see as a flaw in, in the anthology. Um, you know, it doesn't lean one way or another, but I kept very careful track, you know, so much horror, you know, so much, um, exoplanetary science fiction, so much, uh, unclassifiable stuff. And that was the thing that I noticed as I was going through the stories that I received was that a lot of times things we could be classified in more than one genre. I think that that's, I think that's inherent in work by people who are traditionally marginalized, traditionally outside the field. Mm-hmm. 
were these original stories or they were stories um, that had been previously published? They were all originals. That was one thing that I stipulated in my call for submissions, that these would have to be previously unpublished. I also stipulated no poetry because although I am a poet, I don't see myself as a good poetry editor. Mm -hmm. How much editing? So just thinking about the process, do, do you choose the stories first and then go about editing them to fit within what the anthology required, or how did that process work? Oh, well, there were some stories that I edited more heavily than others, um, but I wasn't trying to make anything fit. I was looking for things that would fit. And occasionally, you know, I had sad things where there were two stories with someone getting their heart ripped out, and I just could only have one of those. Um, you know, it's the kind of thing that you can't, you can't keep, you can't have like three or four stories about people getting their hearts ripped out in one anthology. I, I just, it's too much. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so I, I selected the stories based on what I'd already chosen and also just this feeling of, mm, I want to say, um, things that moved me. I mean, that's how, that's how the best editors do it is if it affects them, if they keep thinking about the story after they've read it, you know, it's not something that they can neatly fold and put away. It's something that stays with them. Mm -hmm. Would you, what would sort of the, uh, how many stories are there in the anthology? Uh, there are, let me count, I think there's 17. And then there's my afterward and LeVar Burton's forward. <laughs> yep, I was right, 17. <laughs> so um, does it have, what rating would you say the book has if it were a movie? Oh, it would be X. <laughs> oh. Uh, the whole anthology, because there's uh, one very explicit story in there with like, Mm, I won't. I won't say which one, even, but yeah, X. Okay. Were there any themes or um, aesthetics that you avoided, like you know, as far as violent, you know, like if there were excessive violence, did you avoid that, or was there, there anything that you tried to? Uh, what what kind of boundaries were there, if if any? Well, um, I really didn't have to worry about that uh, because I was it was invitation only, so I was inviting people that I knew would um, share my values, I guess, if mm. you would say. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, so tell me a bit about, um, so we've touched a little on what the stories are like, so someone who, who opens the book, what, what sort of uh, settings and protagonists and that sort of thing can they expect to find? I know it's a wide range, but maybe a taste of, of that. Well, okay. Uh, let's see. Uh, we open up uh, on Earth and we finish on Earth. Um, we uh, go back and forth in history. Um, there's some fairly contemporary stuff, some stuff set several centuries back, some um, set several centuries in the future, um, or even just a few decades in the future. There are, are stories that take place in the U.S., in a post-apocalyptic U.S., in the Caribbean, 
in West Africa. Um, it is really pretty much all over. Mm -hmm. Which of the stories most uh, surprised you when you got them? Maybe you didn't expect what, what you got in a positive way. I'm not saying stories that you were disappointed <laughs> with, but you know, what, what kind of, what, what was there that you didn't expect and really liked? The thing that I did not expect was all the humor. Hmm. Um, there, there, there is a fair amount of humor. Um, the story by Stephen Barnes, um, come home to a tropos. Uh, that had me rolling on the floor with laughter. The first time he read it to an audience, uh, one of the audience members complained that she laughed so hard she snorted milk <laughs> out of her nose. <laughs> so, yeah, just generally that. And um, then I was just absolutely uh, swept away by the wonder of a couple of stories. Um uh, one by Alberto Yanez um, called "Burn the Ships." Mm -hmm. um, yeah, they, those there were there were things that devastated me with their beauty. Uh, were there any sort of tear jerkers among the stories? Uh, well, there were certainly things that that made me feel pretty wistful. Um, I would say Rebecca Roanhorse's story was not. Yes, it was wistful because it was um, a response to uh, tragedies that I know actually have happened. Hmm. Um, yeah. Were there, do the stories, how many of them, if any, do they deal with being a person of color, dealing with uh, racial issues versus just being a story that happens to be written by a person of color or a non-white person? Oh, I don't think you want my answer to that one. Um, oh, no. I don't, I don't see that dichotomy at all. Okay. Okay. It's fair enough. Was... I, I can tell you one thing that all of the stories had in common. Well, not all of them, but most of them. Mm -hmm. And that was that I was told over and over again, I never thought I'd sell this story. Um, so these were stories that had not been published because they did not fit the paradigm that was was presented by the magazines or uh, sites or anthologies that they'd been offered to. Mm -hmm. they, they were stories that people wrote because they needed to write them, stories that were in their hearts mm -hmm. and stories that they thought would not see the light of day. I'm speaking with Nisi Shaw, editor of New Sons, 2020 Locus Award winner for Best Anthology. You can find more information on her work at nisishaw.com. If you like this podcast so far, please subscribe to it and rate it if you can. Please go to my website, chrisalvarez.com or fullcontactnerd.com for links to news, videos, new books, and my social media links. You can find the links to my other podcasts and associated book lists at historyrabbithole.com. That's rabbit as in the animal, historyrabbithole.com. And now back to the podcast. Do you think that the story, that the short story outlets, are they, are they doing a good enough job or is it sort of, you know, some, some authors would say it's just kind of window dressing, you know, for now. Well, I, I think uh, that is a question that is, a, um, the answer is a moving target. Mm -hmm. I think that it's 
something that is changing rapidly, so rapidly that um, by the time um, I finish this sentence, probably it will have changed in some substantial way. Um, for a long time, we've had people who are making an effort to uh, be more inclusive in publishing, but they haven't necessarily gone about it effectively. Hmm. And and I think that that is changing. And um, I'm really, I mean, it's, it's the kind of thing, um, do you know Octavia Butler was trying to put together an anthology much like this, what was it, uh, 30 years ago. So the fact that this anthology, New Sons, has been published, that's amazing. Um, and that's progress. Mm -hmm. And I think the pace of the progress is picking up. Okay, good, good. Yeah, that sort of leads into the, the other question I'd wanted to ask, which is, again, is this something that people are just, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, that the industry is really difficult for for people to break into one. And it's especially difficult if, if you're not part of the club, so to speak, to um to put it mildly if you're not white. Um, so again, the question is, are, uh, okay. So here's the question. How do you make sure that the progress keeps moving forward at a faster rate? Are there, are, do you see things within the industry that could be done? Yeah. And, and people are actually doing them, <laughs> which is so heartening. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that at, at this moment, there's very little pushback, um, and of course, there will be pushback later. Uh, but there are things like um, the CISWA statement in, in support of Black Lives Matter. Mm -hmm. Not only did they say, oh, yes, we agree with all these things. They actually did concrete things like waiving the membership fees for authors of color. Mm -hmm. And let me tell you, that can make a huge difference. Mm -hmm. um, so how do we keep that kind of thing going, ask for it, demand it. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, so on the, the, the audience needs to be, uh, needs to maintain, be proactive about that. Yeah. Yes. And also to, um, be positive when efforts are made, you know, to say, I can see that you want to do better. Mm -hmm. Here's how, here's how you do it. How, how do you, can you explain that? I, I, I didn't quite follow. So um, I am. This is the kind of person that I am. I I don't just like say there's a problem. I try and uh, come up with solutions. And I'm saying when people make an effort, uh, when white people, uh, establishment people make an effort to um, be be more inclusive, applaud that, mm -hmm. and also say. And here's how you could go further. Here's how you could do better. This is, you know, this is what, how this affected me. And, um, this is what would make your efforts resonate more, more clearly with my needs. Okay. All right. So just keep the conversation going. Keep in people's ears. Yes. 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 Keep it going. And also, keep talking amongst ourselves, you know, the conversation is not just like a, a one way. It's not a binary thing. Mm -hmm. Um, so 
people who have some sorts of privilege because they are, for instance, a uh, model minority, uh, need to be in conversation with people who are uh, oppressed along a different uh, identity, a different access. Mm-hmm. So, so let me ask about um, gender within this conversation. Do you find it easier for either gender who happen to be people of color to succeed right now, or, or do you see a breakdown there in any way? Um, okay, well, first of all, I, I think there's more than two genders, mm-hmm. and, and you were asking about either gender. Um, right. So uh, I would say um, people of all genders. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, for a long, long time, this was something that... Uh, people were talking about that it was easier for publishing to accept the presence of a stellar black female author than a stellar black male author. The example being um, Octavia Butler. And and there's also this um, pressure um, historically to have just one representative. And I think that that has Changed, which again is something that I tried to uh, illustrate in this anthology. Uh, that there are people in this anthology who are, you know, of varying gender expressions, very different uh, sexualities, and uh, I wanted to make sure that I had a, a representative cross section, if you will, mm-hmm. of author. Okay. Okay. And I appreciate the correction, actually. I should have, yeah, I spoke I spoke too quickly, and I do appreciate that. So another question I had along the same lines, so you were talking about giving uh, positive um, feedback to people trying to make change uh, within the establishment. How much negative feedback do you think is appropriate um, in this situation? Obviously, people who are pushing back and saying this shouldn't be done should get a lot of negative um, feedback. <laughs> But how about- oh, well, I don't know. I, see, I said positive, but really um, what I mean is um, realistic feedback. Because um, if, you, if you're if you only going to be giving positive feedback, then you're sort of censoring yourself. And sometimes that is just not appropriate, and sometimes it's not helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, I just want to make sure that everybody includes things that could be seen positively in their realistic feedback, if that makes sense. Does that make sense? I think it makes sense, but I think I need more, maybe more examples to understand better what you're describing. Okay, so um, I can sit around and talk about how a story of mine was rejected because it had, uh, because it, it played off of uh, an attitude that is a deep part of my community. Um, I'm specifically thinking of my story, Cruel Sista, and the attitude that I'm talking about is the attitude towards hair in the African-descended communities in the U.S. Um, There's, like, all sorts of grades of hair. The closer your hair is to that of white people, that's called good hair. You know, the better your hair is. 
Uh, so I wrote a story in which one sister killed another because, in part, well, you never know why anybody kills anyone. That's yeah. But uh, her her motivation was um, her sister had good hair and she had bad hair, and I could could um, tell you about all the places that rejected it. Um, one editor said, "This is such a trivial." point who would murder someone over the quality of their hair this is just unrealistic hmm. um which not my experience not at all hmm. um but it, i could also tell you that it was finally bought by an author who was white but but valued my experience and understanding of the issues hmm. that that was present in my community so um, you can you can accentuate one or the other, um, or you can include both, and that's what I try to do. Hmm. Interesting. What do you think of the so so social media, the use of social media in in pushing change? Do you see? And I, we're definitely getting beyond the scope of the book, but it's you know, <laughs> uh, is that okay? Or do you mind talking about? Uh, these subjects because it's it's very important i think and interesting to me but um well um i if, if we get too far afield from the book i'll rein you back okay okay so i'll just ask one more question about this um the use of social media in advancing uh the success of of authors who are or not white do you see both po- do you see positive or negative or a mix as far as the use of social media Oh, um, my experience uh, of social media in in promoting the works of people of color is overwhelmingly positive. Um, my only quibble is that people keep repeating the same questions over and over again hmm. when the work has been done, the lists have been compiled. And so, you know, after years and years of, of people saying, oh, are there any black people that write horror? You know, there are actually very well-maintained lists of this. And uh, anyone who's asking that on social media is not doing their homework. And there's plenty of resources out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Are all the authors... um American authors or? Oh, um, in, in uh, New Sons? Uh, yes. No. Um, let's see. Um, some of them are living in the U.S. Um, and, and, uh, but are from other origins. Um, some of them are living in Canada and again are from other places. The only one that I could name that's currently living in the country of her birth is uh, Jamie Go. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's currently living in Malaysia. Uh, but others, you know, uh, Indra Pramit Das is from India. Uh, Minstu Kang is uh, from Korea, but they're living in the U.S. Um, Hiromi is living in Canada, Hiromi Goto, and so is Karen Luwachi. Um I did, and so is uh, Chanelo Onwalu, um, who's a Nigerian by birth, but living in Canada. So it's international-ish. 
as a as an anthology. Mm-hmm. Okay. How much? I'm curious. How much? Uh, how many Nigerians are in this anthology? Just because Nigeria is so huge, you know, the population-wise, I think it's one fifth of the African population. Um, yeah, only only Chinello. I I had uh, a, a couple of other authors that I asked, but um, I was not satisfied with what they gave me. So mm-hmm. yeah, I'm just surprised there's and not. Also- this is a small anthology. Yeah, no, I, I understand. I understand. I, I'm just always surprised at, how, you know, considering the size of Nigeria, it feels like there, sh- there should be so, and I know there is some uh, being published in the U.S., but it seems like there should be so much more, and not just, you know, stories, but shows and movies and that sort of thing. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, and also in the U.K. and uh, New Zealand and Australia, um Tade Thompson, um, who's not in this anthology, uh, is a Nigerian-born author who's got, what, I think, four novels out? Five novels? So, mm-hmm. hopefully he's clearing the way for some, some more attention there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you have to do um, any research for any of the stories? I know it's, you know, it's fiction, but um, was there any background work you had to do? No. No, I was just going with what the authors had found out, mm-hmm. letting them do the work. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. And are, are the stories, are they um, uh, lengthwise? Are they all pretty similar, or are there some that are very short and some longer? Uh, the shortest story in there is 1,600 words. Um, Silvia Moreno-Garcia's Give Me Your Black Wings, O oh Sister. Mm. Um just so beautiful. Um, the longest one is actually the most uh, explicit one, um, The Freedom of the Shifting Sea. That's 8,000 words. Um, so, so there's a range, um, only, only a little bit of uh, flash, if you would call that, only one piece that's flash. Hmm. I set a limit of 8,000 words, and some... some submissions went over that substantially and i just said i'm not reading that Hmm. nope yeah no i get it i understand so what what sort what books movies uh shows that sort of thing inspire your work oh um i don't know i will tell you that um everfair the uh the novel um that came out in 2016 the uh, the one that most people know me for was inspired, believe it or not, by Middlemarch. <laughs> hmm. Okay, I by George Eliot. <laughs> right. Yeah, I haven't read that, but I'll, it's it's one that it's often talked about. It's, it's a Victorian novel of manners. Mm-hmm. So what does that have to do with what I did? Um, but the dynamics of it, I think, are what I was going for. Mm-hmm. But but what do you like in general as far as uh, other works that sort of um, spark your imagination or in general, not just for, for what you've created? Oh, you mean like what what do I enjoy? Yes. Because that's different than that's quite different than what inspires my work. Um, yes. Uh, yeah. Um, I have been enjoying um, I got to do a sneak peek 
of uh, Tanana Reeve Dew's novel, The Reformatory, mm-hmm. um, which is really eerie and creepy, and yeah, you know, she she does know how to do that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I also, um, it's been a couple of years now since it came out and since I read it, but I'm still thinking about and going back to Cory Doctorow's novel, Walk Away, mm-hmm. which has a lot to say about how people behave in uh, catastrophes and how that can be revolutionary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, oh, I so enjoyed Matt Ross. Uh, novel in short story format. Uh, he he did this thing where he's writing different stories from different uh, viewpoints uh, throughout. It's called uh, Lovecraft Country, and oh. Jordan Peele coming out with a, I think it's in August, coming out with a, a series based on that book. Mm-hmm. It was great. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that show. So, are there any particular genres that you are drawn to, just as far as... Um consuming as, as an audience person? So, um, oh, oh, here's another huge confession. I am a, a huge Outlander fan. Yeah. Um, uh, so what you may not know about me is that I am, I've, I've lost about 60, no, I would not say 60. I'd say more like 40% of my vision. I have glaucoma. Hmm. Um, reading is difficult for me, I don't drive anymore. Um, I don't go to movies, but watching movies on my phone is like I have this magic window into a world where I can see across the room. Hmm. So I consume a lot of that sort of thing, a lot of series and movies on my phone. And Outlander, oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. Um, have you have you seen the show? No, I'm familiar with it, but yeah, I have to admit I have not. Yeah, it was um, produced by Ron Moore, uh, who who did now what's oh uh, Battlestar Galactica. Yes, yes. Oh, okay. So for me, it, he he brought the Battlestar Galactica sensibility to this story of uh, time traveling uh, people who who go back to the 18th century of Scotland. Also, I lived in Scotland for a while, and so it's all very nostalgic to me. He got the kilts right. Um, the people who did the costumes, the casting, they were all on point. Um, and and um, huge fan of that show. I've got, like, three T-shirts from the <laughs> fan club. <laughs> okay. All right. Um so just and, and I will I, I will add that um, I'm very curious uh, that there are I believe there are many 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 fans of that show who are people of color mm-hmm. um, and and uh, though it's focused on uh, this interplay between two uh, white people mm-hmm. it's also I think uh, very exemplary in in the way that it shows how the British Empire practiced their colonialization and their imperious tactics on Scotland before they applied them elsewhere. Mm -hmm. Would you say, because you did point out how much you like the costumes and the setting and stuff, does does what you just said about the uh, political side, does that 
Is that necessary for you to enjoy the show also, or is that just something positive you see in addition to it? Oh, it's absolutely necessary. I, um, it's why I'm watching basically. Yeah. Um, okay. the, I, I've talked with, um, uh, Eltamel Duchamp, Timmy Duchamp about this to, to a, a great extent. There are people who think of, uh, the politics in their fiction as like some sort of uh, spice, you know, it's like adding to it. Um, and then there are people like myself, people like Timmy, who think of it as the actual food, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's not like the sauce, it's, it's mm-hmm. what's being sauced. Mm-hmm. Okay. And the rest is, and the, the costume and setting is the spice to that. Yeah, or even they are showing how um, how how the politics work. Um, for instance, using local dyes in uh, the costume is a, is a statement about the availability of dyes, the availability of money, um, the access to trade, that sort of thing. You mm-hmm. see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And that's I- why we think of it as a science fictional. Uh, mindset because it's integrated. Mm-hmm. Wow. I should check that show out. I'm sure <laughs> obviously a lot of people enjoy it. So <laughs> I'm speaking with Nisi Shaw, editor of New Suns, 2020 Locus Award winner for Best Anthology. You can find more information on her work at com. If you like this podcast so far, please subscribe to it and rate it if you can. Please go to my website, chrisalvarez.com or fullcontactnerd.com for links to news, videos, new books, and my social media links. You can find the links to my other podcasts and associated book lists at historyrabbithole.com. That's rabbit as in the animal, historyrabbithole.com. And now back to the podcast. So would you, so back to the anthology, I did sort of ask about threads um, but I'm also curious, would you say, did it have a sort of soundtrack in your mind as, as, as you read these stories, does any kind of music pop out? Absolutely not. And I work with, uh, music a lot when I, um, when I write, not so much though, when I edit, mm-hmm. I think it was because there was so much variation in the stories and, uh, where they were coming from that I couldn't pin it all to one soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Okay. So as far as um, doing the editing work, uh, was there anything out of the ordinary that, say, you do as an editor to um to get it completed? I'm not sure what you mean by out of the ordinary. Um, I, I, I mean, I wasn't standing on my head. <laughs> <laughs> well, whatever you might consider something different than maybe how other people approach the task. Oh, I see what you're saying. I think I'm, I've been told, at least uh, Ursula Le Guin told me this. She told me that not only was I a good editor, but I was a nice editor. Hmm. <laughs> In other words, um, I'm very diplomatic. Mm-hmm. Um, and trying to bring out the strengths of the story rather than just, you know, make it conform to my idea of what the story should be. I'm trying to understand what the author's doing. That's probably down to me being an author also. Mm-hmm. It's interesting if she had to mention um, being nice, how many people were, how many editors have not been nice. That's um, 
Yeah, well, you know, and she did not suffer that, did she? No. Hmm. Yeah. So I guess as an editor, how do you, as you said, as you said, you're trying to understand what the author is getting at, you know, do you get into things like, oh, there's too much dialogue here, or the dialogue doesn't quite feel right, or, you know, do you get into the, what do you get into? Um, I get into, um, like, what is the lasting image that you, what is, what is your ending supposed to do, and are you directing the reader's attention to where you actually want it to be, mm-hmm. for instance? Um, I did that with one story. Um, and in another, I thought that the author was not making the main character address a problem that was glaringly obvious to the reader, or at least to me as a reader. Mm-hmm. Um, the author was letting the main character off the hook and that involved quite a bit of rewriting, but that author was very happy with what I came up with. They're all very happy. At least they say they're very happy <laughs> with, with my suggestions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's. I was. I was going to ask how often does the author actually end up winning the the dispute or the um, the debate? Oh, I can think of one instance where I asked for something and and did not get it in. You know, I have to go with the author's take on that. The author knows what they were trying to do. Uh, the author knows if my suggestions are taking them away from their goal. And uh, so if they don't accept it, then I take what they want. Is it more an issue of, do you, do you pr- point out problems and offer solutions or do you just say this doesn't feel right you know give me something different sometimes if i see a solution i will ask if this is what they want to do mm-hmm. it's not um it, it, it's not i don't um prescribe that i offer options mm-hmm. so so you do do you give uh possible approaches to um right okay okay have, have you edited other anthologies or or um or other people's works? Yeah, let me see. Um, I'm probably not going to do these in the right order, but um, I edited an anthology of nonfiction called Wisconsin Chronicles Five: Writing and Racial Identity. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is part of a series that Aqueduct Press has done where people write articles about this convention, WISCON, that happens over Memorial Day weekend every year. Mm -hmm. It's a feminist and social justice-oriented science fiction convention. Mm -hmm. So I edited that uh, by myself. I co-edited an anthology called Stories for Chip, uh, which is a tribute to Samuel R. Delaney. I co-edited that with Bill Campbell, I co-edited another nonfiction anthology, Strange Matings. Um, it was a bunch of uh, poetry and, and articles, essays about Octavia Butler. And then I an- edited an anthology called Blood Children, which is just original fiction by people who had received the Octavia Butler scholarship. Mm. Um, and I've 
done guest editing on a couple of special issues of magazines, um, Fantastic Stories of the Imagination. Uh, I, I guest edited that, and I did part of the Destroy, uh, People of Color Destroy um, Science Fiction. I, I did the reprints for that. Mm-hmm. Okay. So how is... Um... How's your approach to editing changed over time, if it has? I'm not sure that it has. Um, my approach is um, find the people that you want, ask them if they can do what you need, um, look at what they give you, decide if it works on its own, if it works with what else you're cultivating. Um, I should mention that I'm currently involved in a project called Afro SF, which is um, a very short anthology of original speculative fiction by African descended people. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I'm co-editing that. And that it, you said Afro. What was the last part? I went to Afro SF. SF. Okay, I didn't quite hear you. And and your writing. How has has that ch- as being an editor, how has that changed your writing at all? Um, I think it's made me sure of what I'm doing, actually, um, which I don't know if people would have expected that. But being on both sides of the idea of changing things and revising, I see now that there are things that I can change and things that Absolutely, no. That's not that's not going to work. Mm-hmm. Um, well, there was someone who asked me to to uh, begin a short story with a flashback, and I I couldn't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't take the story. Someone else did. It's given me a sense that there are things that editors ask that they have to get refusals for. Mm-hmm. Okay. I can imagine it's difficult for a new author to resist an editor, you know, and, and stick to their their position. It is. It is. I've had some encouragement along those lines, too, um, chiefly by Eileen Gunn, another Seattle writer um, who I've been friends with for years, and, and I do some co-writing sessions with now, and she's like, there's a difference between I ate my mapo and I ate the mapo. Mm-hmm. And if you need one, stick to that. Uh, say that last part again. I didn't quite catch it. If you mean the first one, stick to that. Mm-hmm. I guess for, for a new author, then again, there's this fear, like I have to break in and just do as, you know, do, uh, how about the idea? I'll just do as I'm told, you know, now. And then when I get bigger, I'll have more leeway. I, I, yeah, I've done some of that. Um, I've uh, written a short story, uh, which uh, came back from the editor saying, we don't feel the crime-ridden nature of this neighborhood that you're talking about. Um, and I didn't make it more crime-ridden. I just had to be explicit about this is a very bougie neighborhood. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is not, this is middle class. This is not crime-ridden. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I, I could have gotten discouraged and, and gone along with their vision, but I, I had to, I had to 
basically explain in the text why it was different than what they thought it was. Mm -hmm. So I did a little bit of that. There's also a ton of opportunity, I guess you would call it, for publication uh, with people who may not share the same restrictions. Mm -hmm. Oh, and not to mention self-publishing. So you do, so, you know, there's the whole... Yeah, as self. So, do you see self-publishing as a good um, avenue for um, for authors, or or what should the approach be? Um, I am not sure. Um, there are people who are doing very well with it, and people who are just not getting anywhere with it. And these are people who've been at it for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to a conference in Florida a couple of years ago. Nink, it was called, and there were like hundreds of women there who were making thousands of dollars every year from selling their books and, and, you know, self-publishing. And then there are other people I know who we sold 20 copies Mm. that, you know, that's, that's not going to keep them in uh, tofu. Um, So I don't know. It seems that the dist having a good distribution network seems to be important. I think that, you know, that's traditional publishers have access to, they can push out the, a book, you know, publicize it and um, get it into stores and whatnot. You know, that's their strength. The, pub, the publicizing, the advertising that mm-hmm. they do. I am not, I've only done uh, one self-published book that was Blood Children, um, which the Carl Brandon Society put out for and for, for as a fundraiser, basically. Mm-hmm. And so um, that did well. But I don't choose to spend my time marketing as uh, heartily as, as you would have to do um, to be do, to be self-publishing all your stuff. I, I don't want to spend all my time doing that. Yeah, that's that's it's it. That's what I've heard and seen that a self-published author has to spread their time across a bunch of business functions as well as trying to be a writer. And there's plenty of that already, right? Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. What non-writing or non-editing work have you done that's influenced um, how you do your writing and editing work? Oh, it's all material. Uh, Everything. Um, I, you know, I sold structural steel. Um, Teaching is probably the thing that I do the most. And um, I don't know how it has influenced what I write other than making me realize that people understand things in very different ways. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and that they need different, um, they need different hints and clues as to what's actually going on. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That sounds like the di- diplomatic part of you saying, you know, looking in it, looking at the world from other people's eyes to figure out what they're, why they're getting, making mistakes um, as far as understanding others. Yeah. Or understanding my work. Hey. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) More, more to the point. Uh, So a bit of a whimsical question here. Um, When you were younger, was there any power technology or fictional setting that you yearned for or to be part of? Yeah. Um, I really, really wanted to be able to end world hunger. Um, <laughs> mm. and, and, um, I thought that, 
you know, just some sort of like universal uh, matter transmission would be the solution. Hmm. Uh, seems incredibly naive to me now, you know. Well, you, you had your dreams. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I definitely, you know, I would, I would like, if I was on the swing, I would be pretending that I was dropping food parcels over, well, at the time, uh, East Germany was starving, right? So, mm -hmm. um, and, and just everywhere. I, I wanted everyone to be able to at least survive hmm. so that seems to be sort of a a science fictiony kind of power but did it have it, were you motivated at all like by star trek or something or you know as far as oh, no. this is this is pre-star trek mm -hmm. uh matter transmission um yeah no i don't know where i came up with that from uh, i did read science fiction um when i was around the age that I'm talking about, but um, the only television really was the Twilight Zone. So, oh. <laughs> you know, that that was even close to science fiction mm. and it wasn't always science fiction. So, yeah, where did I get that idea from? I don't know. Hmm. Maybe I was a science fiction author <laughs> back then. Yeah. So were there any difficulties in completing this anthology uh, in the end, or was it a pretty standard project as far as editing projects go? Okay, so I had asked someone who I'm not going to name, I had asked them to uh, write the introduction. Um, they had also submitted a story. I rejected the story. They told me that they were not writing the introduction. Hmm. So that kind of threw me back for a little bit, but I also was able to, I was hanging out with LeVar Burton. He mm. had read a story of mine for his podcast mm. and he said that he owed me a favor. And I'm like, well, here's your, here's the favor. Could yeah. you please write an introduction? Mm -hmm. So I was able to come back, but it did throw me for a minute. Mm. I had, I thought I had the perfect person to do the introduction. Mm -hmm. Well, I guess you, um, yeah. You adapted, and, and I mean, LeVar Burton seems like a pretty strong name to attach to the project. Um, yes, yes, and he, he loves science fiction. Mm -hmm. Which is interesting. You, you Actors, you don't necessarily see people who, who played in science fiction shows like the subject, but that's uh, that's cool. That's good to hear. Yeah, yeah. What's your next writing or editing project you did you did mention one uh that you have working on that you're working on are there others that you would... yeah there's actually another editing project too um library of america is putting out their first volume hopefully of many of octavia butler's works you know they they do like annotated reprints of they've done philip k dick they've done ursula Le Guin, um raymond chandler so uh they're doing Octavia Butler, and I'm co-editing that with Jerry Canavan. So that's pretty exciting. Um, I'm also writing a sequel to Everfair um, on Chapter 4 mm -hmm. of a projected 16 chapter. Okay. Are there any other authors, older authors, um, non-white authors, who who you think could have, uh, should have, um, as much notice as say an Octavia Butler, um, but who haven't gotten that notice? 
Yes, um, ab- absolutely. Um, I could not, I can't go a day without mentioning Samuel Delaney. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, uh, he has received some notice. Uh, he hasn't excited people to the degree that his student, Octavia, he actually taught her, um, has done. Um, but he is, as far as I'm concerned, a genius, one of the best writers living, um, maybe one of the best writers ever. Uh, I also am a huge, huge fan of Charles Saunders, um, who, not a science fiction, more fantasy, but, um, and he gives Edgar Rice Burroughs a run for his money. He gives uh, Robert Howard a run for his money. He has put out Oh, at least four novels and several short stories on this African warrior fighting magic, um, uh, that kind of theme. So, so very Conan-esque, actually. Hmm. Um, I also, uh, just adore Haruki Murakami. Um, I don't know if he qualifies as, as older. Um, and he's certainly not a U.S. author, but wow, I could just, I, I wake up from dreams uh, of his novels. Hmm. Um, they really move me. Okay. Mm. Good. Okay. Any any others, or that seems like a pretty strong list there. That is a strong list. I wish that Gloria Naylor got more press for Mama Day, which is an extravagantly beautiful novel, uh, definitely a fantasy. Um, she's deceased. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, trying to think anybody else that, you know, is like, has wowed me and made me think, Hey, you need more attention. I can't think of anyone else right now. Okay. So where can people find your work online? Do you have a web page or social media? Oh, I do. Um, I have a website at com, which is really, really out of date, (laughs) but you know, it does have links to a bunch of my stuff. Um, I have a new ish book out called talk like a man. It's a short story collection with an essay and an interview. That's talk like a man that's out from PM press and another collection called a primer to Nisi shawl. That's out by dark quest book and, books and that has short stories also um one that i just wrote for the collection scholarly pieces on my work uh an interview that kind of stuff mm-hmm. there um lavar burton has now done a pod two a podcast of two stories of mine he's done um a podcast of black betty which he did live in a theater and he did a podcast of the water museum so he likes my stuff. What, what's the podcast name? Uh, LeVar Burton Reads. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> pretty straightforward. Um, and I'll spell <laughs> I'll spell your name for people um, if they want to check out your website, even if it is outdated. Um, N- <laughs> N-I-S-I-S-H-A-W-L and, and dot com, you said? Yes. Yes, and you, uh, it's also the sort of name that is really easy to get hits on with Google. So you can find uh, some of my stuff online that way, too, if you just want to enter Nisi Shawl in the search engines. 
Okay. That's all the questions I have. Do you have any final thoughts or words? I'm just really, really proud of New Sons. I'm really proud of the con- contributions, and I hope that people read it and enjoy it and find a lot of depth and beauty there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you uh, for speaking with me. Thanks for having me, Chris. Thank you for listening. If you like this podcast, Full Contact Nerd, please subscribe. Please also rate Full Contact Nerd and review it if you can. I have many more options to nerd out on sci-fi, fantasy, and horror. You can check out my website, chrisalvarez.com. That's Chris without an H. I have 20 mini-blogs on the site covering sci-fi, fantasy, horror, gaming, writing, mysteries, folklore, mythology, and many more topics. You can find my video playlists and my original videos on YouTube under Chris Alvarez. I cover sci-fi short films and games, fantasy fiction, horror short films and games, video and board game design, and more. You can get interesting news on fiction and fiction studies on my Twitter page, Chris Alvarez FCN. You can find cosplay and convention photos on my Instagram page, Chris Alvarez Sci-Fi. You can sign up for my newsletter on new books on my websites, chrisalvarez.com or fullcontactnerd.com. Thank you for listening and keep imagining the past, the present, and the future.